Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with thought leaders and with interesting people to explore ideas and practices to help you create new futures with your team and for your business. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Archer, the founder and CEO of Archer & Associates, an executive search, leadership development, and coaching services firm that delivers best-in-class talented candidates for clients and helps individuals and organizations achieve their potential. After 20 years in corporate America, where she experienced the unpredictable nature of the hiring process and the leadership gaps it creates, Anne-Marie launched her company to bring holistic solutions to leadership talent. She combines in her work deep insights to organizational dynamics and personal optimization with the use of intuition to formulating penetrating insights. In this conversation, you will learn about the system approach that Anne-Marie brings to identifying leadership talent. We explore the power of conversation as the tool that creates the roadmap for transformation and how essential it is to become insanely curious. Anne-Marie talks about developing the ability to be in a place of not knowing and the courage and fearlessness required to uncover what is going to serve the situation. This is a rich conversation, and I know you will want to capture and retain some of the ideas we discuss to bring these to your work and leadership journey. Because of power outage in the middle of our conversation, Anne-Marie needed to shift to a mobile phone in the middle of the conversation, and you will recognize this point with a change of tone in the recording. Here, then, is my conversation with Anne-Marie Alcher. So, Anne-Marie, welcome. Great to have you on this conversation today. Great. Thank you, Aviv. That was a lovely uh, introduction. I appreciate that. How are you? I am excellent. I am wonderful. Thank you for asking. I love your book, the parts that I've been able to get through. Well, I just, I just want to say that, B, to you, that it's, I, I now truly get why when you and I were speaking on the phone, you were like, we need to continue this conversation. I mean, everything I'm reading is just right down my belief system. Mm. It's just, I mean, it's as if I'm, I'm talking to, you know, to a mirror, a different version of it. You have different ways of expressing it, but it's, it's the same, the same idea. I Love call it. this, I call this the Mona Lisa effect. Wherever you stand, she looks back at you. That not that beautiful? <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Well, the Michelangelo effect. I was like, oh, yes, like that is, that is exactly what I do. So I was like, oh, I just loved it. I love it. I can't wait to finish it, actually. I mean, honestly, I'm not just saying that just to be nice. I really mean that. I, I can't wait to finish it. Great. So like, well, I appreciate <laughs> it. So in the interest of uh, full transparency, we have met through the introduction of a mutual friend, mm. Court Lorenzini. Mm -hmm. And 
Court is one of the brightest people I know in business. And I think we both had the same response. When Court says you need to meet someone, you follow the brief and you start the conversation. <laughs> That's exactly right. And he, he does that with great uh, discernment. So whenever he does say that, I do exactly what he says. And, and in this situation, he has definitely been right. And so I think this exploration today will be as, as new for, for both of us as it will be for anyone listening, because mm. we have just uh, recently started to develop our conversation. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. So if it's all right, I'd, I'd like to dive right in right away and, and then just discover where the flow of um, this conversation wants to take us. That'd be and, great. <laughs> and the place that I'd like to begin is that in my book, in my recently published book, uh, Create New Futures, I make the point that a conversation is a discovery portal. Mm. And I believe in your work as well, you use conversations as a discovery tool, perhaps a discovery portal too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tell yes. me about the place. So tell me about the place and the significance of conversation in your work. You know, as a, as a coach and as a, a person who does search work with executives, that's really our avenue. That's our way of expressing and developing energy back and forth between the two. And often what I have found with people in conversation is the energy exchange happens right in between. The collaboration of the minds together um, creates something beautiful, something that neither one knew before beginning. So conversation in my work, when I go in to do search, there is a, what I call a mining of the company, a looking and a seeing from a place of, you know, my view is objective. You know, my view is very different coming into the system. I'm not part of the system until I step in the door and start asking questions. And I, I don't know what I'm finding. And often it's using an intuition um, data as well, and also experience. So using the past to inform the future, but looking for where that next step is and, and where the gaps are in that organization. And the same occurs with, with individuals when I'm coaching executives and working with them. It's looking for that place, that hidden place where they may not be able to see there. It's hidden from their view. And so we go and we look, and sometimes in the conversation, we have no idea. It's getting very comfortable with the not knowing, no idea where it's going to go. But the conversation is the roadmap. The conversation is the, is the exchange and our way of, of getting to that place of transformation. So I'm going to want to rethread through some of the things you, you're talking about and, and unpack the, the, yeah. the idea of mining the system and intuition, and being in a space of not knowing. But even before we do that, let me ask you, when did you discover that you have deep interest in the power of conversations and and that you perhaps have a gift and an intuition to decipher the sometime invisible side of conversations such that that allows you to uh, mine the system that there must have been some earlier experiences where you became present in yourself and aware oh this is a a space this is a a world that i i can uh, 
travel with with ease and with with grace mm-hmm. and 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 create meaning so to tell me share with me some some of the early experiences where you discovered that i I started my career in sales, so it was a place where I had intended to be a teacher actually, and then I went into sales, which is again teaching in my world so um i have a I have a teaching way of being, so who I am is a teacher and a listener so and also um, a speaker and so that was always a skill I had. But it was through the practice in sales of listening to my customers and my clients that I really got that when my mouth was talking, I wasn't learning anything. And what I was really deeply interested in was living, understanding and living the lives of the other people in front of me. So while I always wanted to be a teacher, I also wanted to be a writer. So I have a degree in English and I always wanted to be a writer and how I lived other lives was through those characters. And so when I was out with my customers, I couldn't do every job in the world. But what I could do is I could live vicariously through those people and what they were, what they were doing. And I was insanely curious, just absolutely cr- incredibly curious. So I started asking questions and questions and questions. And the more I learned the more it took me down other roads and other forks in the road to pathways that seemed natural to me. And then there was a point, and I wish I could pinpoint exactly the time, where I found that I had an innate ability to intuit and just know the right question. And sometimes it didn't even, it didn't even make sense of why I would ask a particular question. But I would. And what I learned in the deep listening with my customers is that there often was a place in the conversation that wasn't mentioned. There was a place that always seemed like there was a a missing in the conversation. And I would keep digging and mining until I found that place. And with experience over time of trusting my deep inner voice that would say and give me questions to ask that often wouldn't be the question that would be expected in those communications, I would uncover something that was actually the gap that was the missing, the piece that would really make the difference in either that excellent hire or the piece that would make the difference on the team. And it was a combination of intuition. And then also over time, as you learn to trust that and you learn that it works, and if you trust it 100% of the time, it will not let you down. There is, there is a, a way to keep following that journey and those forks in the road of the conversation that will eventually get you to the missing piece that the client or the people in the room can't see that's covered from their view. Right. So you, you get that? Yeah, absolutely. So be, before the line got broken, um, you spoke about how you started from sales and, and the, it's almost as though you have the, both the, the sales side, the teacher side, and, and the writer side, and the speaker side too. So the, these four roles or four capabilities 
are playing in in a in an orchestra or, or a some kind of a band uh, with you, and the the operative or driving or impelling force that you spoke to was curiosity. And so, how do you understand and appreciate curiosity? Is this something that is there as a preponderance, as an inclination, as, as a talent, or is this a developed discipline, or is it both? It's both. It's absolutely both. Um, I, I have made it my life to follow and watch highly curious people. Curiosity is what fuels innovation. It's what fuels exploration. It's what fuels any kind of new view, any kind of way of stepping outside of the common way of looking and finding a new way to look from a new place, from a new existence, a completely different spot. And that's why the what I play in is what I call the not knowing. And the not knowing is while it can be uncomfortable, it's the place of deep curiosity. And so I I consider that as a as a it's a belief I have. How I framed it is a belief, but it is a an inner thirst that I've always had, just the knowing more, knowing more, knowing more, and looking at it from various views. So if you take, for instance, some of the things I would do inside of interviewing when I was interviewing for candidates, I would create questions about, I would want to see how curious these candidates are. And so what I would do is I would put down my coffee cup and I would um, ask them to tell me what that's used for. And and they would, you know, coffee. And I'd say, well, yeah, commonly used for coffee, but I wonder what uncommonly it might be used for if we got curious about it. And so that just, I think that over time, I've noticed that that innate ability that I have has been practiced to the point of now it is a discipline and I have enough data now to back it up. So that's where the intersection of experience added with living into the future of being curious and not knowing come together to create an added value inside of a business. Right. Right. And, and this is my experience too. I, my experience corroborates that curiosity is, is actually a muscle that you can develop and we can become intensely curious because of a certain uh, critical or central inquiry that, that we have that, that's propelled for a variety of reasons by, by business or by other needs. And we can also practice the, so that's more the laser-focused curiosity, and we can also mm-hmm. practice um, a broad-range, wide-spectrum curiosity. So there are different kinds of curiosities and muscles of curiosity that we can develop and practice and think what you're describing is in today's workplace where so much is changing so fast you must be a very good learner and to be a very good learner you must be curious about how the world around you around you is changing and also about your ability and your capacity to address and meet these changing needs that's right 
That's right. And and I think I, what I would add to that, just to add on to that, is what I've noticed in these uh, fast-changing times is it used to be years, years and years ago that it was a much more linear world. And now it is what I call a very organic. It's always been a very organic world, but I, I see it now in business even more. And we can see methodologies that will that will substantiate this. But things are being consumed in such a fast way. Ideas are being consumed in such a fast way that to get from ideation to creation to actually moving things forward in a practical way, there's a more organic decisiveness that's required around that curiosity. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, think, I think what you're describing is that we focus, mental focus, and focus with curiosity is one of the, the currencies and one of the energies we bring to the table and how we deploy this resource is something we must be disciplined about so that it provides the yield we're looking to, to create. Now, the, where it becomes even more exponentially interesting and complex is that a few minutes ago you spoke about this idea of being in the not knowing and being comfortable inside the ambiguity of not knowing. And you've also spoken about the innate or, or developed uh, capacity to speak the unspoken, to, to name the, the unnamed. How would you thread the relationship between these two, the, the capacity to be in the discomfort of not knowing and in that place be able to intuit, experience, give voice to the unnamed, the unspoken, and asking the, including asking the questions that perhaps nobody dares to, to ask? Yeah, you know, um, being in being in the not knowing, being in the place of you know being comfortable in the uncomfortable, is where I see the distinction of leadership today, and that's where um, because it happens over and over again, and being able to be in that risky spot on a regular basis. Now the the it's a it's a relationship between curiosity. The really wanting to know and the things that aren't said that hang in the air that you can feel that you go and you reach for them and say, here's what's not being said, you know, um, and I don't always know what it's going to be, but being willing to stand on the edge of that cliff and being willing to risk that question, because I think from that there is a, a sense of courage and a lack of fear. So a fearlessness that needs to be present inside of that moment, that there must be a, a sense of no matter what occurs in this conversation or meeting or experience, that I will be safe, I will be fine, I will be okay, meaning I myself. So there, it isn't about me in that moment. It's really about, it's about uncovering what's going to serve in that conversation, uncovering what's going to serve that other person. And there is a, in, in some spiritual practices, it's what's called a hollow bone, right? Saying what there is to be said and what right. you call saying, saying what's so. 
right, being a hollow bone and to allow that to occur. So sometimes I will literally feel and experience myself standing on the edge of a precipice and being willing to just state what's so. And it, and with and how that is able to occur again is the discipline of doing it over and over and over and over again with success and being able to mine the times that were successful and the times that weren't and seeing what worked and what didn't work with people, how to phrase it, how to make it so that it's uh, able to be answered. So I'm meeting a few times. <laughs> right, right. And in a minute, I'd like to, to ask you how you to further on how you apply and use this in the search and, and the interviewing work. But, but I think the first thing I hear you describing there is that that is a competence, that is a, a capacity that's required today of leaders. That, that is for the leader to be able to step into their own leading edge. That is the place that that represents the the edge of the envelope envelope of what they know and push beyond that by being there by inquiring by being curious by allowing themselves to be surrounded by people that know what they perhaps don't know with free of the need to being defensive um and and I, I think we're describing there, you're describing there a, a kind of, of leadership that's very different from the, the legacy archetype of a leader that's supposed to have all the answer and know everything. That, that's the kind of leaders we, we expected perhaps uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but not in today's environment. No, I think the, the key for a leader now, I would say, is knowing the right question. That's the key. Knowing the right question, knowing when to pull the trigger on the right question, knowing when to listen, knowing when to be decisive, knowing how to include and empower, and being willing to be vulnerable inside of that. Now, there's a, a incredible amount of strength that's exuded when someone, when you watch, and I have had the privilege of watching and working with leaders who exude this. And what I have seen is when they're willing to step into that vulnerability, it, it is a, a beautiful thing. It allows others to surface and practice their own curiosity, their own problem solving. And it isn't needed if you're uh, an exceptional leader. It isn't needed to show that you know the answer. What's needed is to empower the team with the right questions to let them explore that on their own because what they will explore will be possibly different than that leader would dictate. Right, right. When you say knowing the right question, which is, which is the, I completely agree with you, this is the reframe, of, of leadership. It used to be about knowing the answers. Now it is about knowing what are the right questions and also how to approach these questions in, in the right way, perhaps. Um, yeah. When you say that, you mean both in terms of what is the problem in the marketplace 
for example, that we're trying to solve. So, the, so these type of questions that will spark the, the innovation of, of a process or a product or an experience, but you also mean that in, in the organizational sense of being able to see the evolving journey of a team and an organization and frame and name the, the question that will facilitate the next conversation that will indeed help that team uh, make the next step in terms of their the, the evolution. I, I imagine you mean both. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's the same it's the same process. It's the same process. And sometimes the question is incredibly simple. Usually, to be honest, usually the questions are very simple. They're not complicated. So give me an example of, give me an example of some of the, the simple questions that you like to ask in, in your various uh, interviewing processes. Well, some, I, I generally... You know, and you said this just a moment ago where you said it's also how you ask the question. So usually it's it's the way, the phrasing of the question, which will start with an I wonder, or hmm, I wonder what it would be like if, and it might be if, you know, if the team is struggling over, um, let's make something up, the team is struggling over. Uh, whether to hire and reorg an executive team and hire maybe, let's say, a leader of sales, a VP of sales or something like that. And they're looking at the organizational structure and we have the entire executive team in the room. And there's something that isn't being said, but it's around that there's something, let's just say the common underpinning is there's something wrong with sales. <laughs> I'm saying, I wonder what it would be like if we looked at this from the framework of there's nothing wrong with sales. Mm. I wonder if we took that out of our equation and we just looked at what's working with sales, what's working in the marketplace, and flipped it on its head and started there. It's, it's sometimes just looking from a different view. And then all of a sudden, it, it, it will explode what's actually missing. In the room, it'll explain what the, what will happen with that is then what's needed in a particular person or the person to fill that role will become really apparent. What you're describing in in my work and in my language is is a is a beautiful example of you acting as as an agent that releases people and the team to look at a problem, to look at a challenge with, with and through a new mental model. When you say, what will it be like if we consider that, that nothing is broken here, nothing is wrong with sales, rather, and, and you frame a, a different point of view, a different mental model, such that um, essentially catalyze for people a new vantage point, a new place from which they can look at the challenge that we're looking to solve, but now from a different place, in, in essence, bringing to, to life the idea of uh, Einstein, which is that we cannot solve the problems we are looking at with the same mindset, with the same mental model that created these uh, very problems. Created the very problem. That's exactly right. So if everyone's focusing on what's wrong or what's missing, it won't uncover itself. 
because you're lo- you're looking from that place where it was created from, and that's why from me I I go in those meetings from with a place of openness and nothing. I call it my place of nothing. I go in completely open. Now, I've already done the research and understanding what's going on. I have the data. The data's there, but that's in a different spot. When you're asking these questions, you're just being curious and wondering if you can kind of take that, you know, globe that you're looking at that might have all of those questions on it, just turn it one little degree and have that get out of their way, that question, that place of where they're always looking from, which is something's wrong. And I found it just frees up the whole team to start to start having a conversation that's generated from a new place. Yeah. Really. So, so how do you go from there, from that place of not knowing, to what's the journey and what's the process that you lead to to find and and to create the right fit, where you you bring. The, the right kind of leadership talent to a senior role? What, what is the process that, that you go through? What, what goes into that? Well, there's a, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of the understanding of, of the as is, right, of the what has been in the past. So there is some understanding of the past to inform the future. And then once you have some of that and, and you get curious around the company and the people and the team and the dynamics, and you've asked enough questions about the current state of what is, then the time is spent toward, you know, and it really does sound something like this, if you could have anything as an outcome of this situation, what would be the outcome? And we start there. We start way in the future. Mm. And the future, in my view, the future pulls us out of the past and pulls us toward what truly is what I call the dream, the dream of what's wanted in that organization, because it's a system. So it's the same as every person inside that system is a system, and they're all a system together. And so as that system, you add one droplet into it, and that will create change. So if you could create change and dream up in the future, what would be the greatest solution? What would that look like? So we start there. And then once everyone's in that space, we look at, okay, there's that past piece over there of what's been the experience up until now. Here's the future outcome that we're looking toward. And then we start getting pretty practical. We start, first of all, we start very creatively around what could be so with that outcome. And then after we look at that really creatively, like not stopping any of those juices flowing, then we start looking at, okay, we really do have this outcome that we want, that we want to solve this with this person, let's say, as a resource. Let's start getting practical about what that future could look like. And let's get down to, you know, nuts and bolts about that. And what you look at in my world and this is a word that most people don't like, but it's it's called tolerances, right? Like, what is the tolerance of that system towards certain things? And there are in, there are tolerances to uh, inside of a culture that they'll accept certain things. And so, the person that comes in is the resource to fill that once we've discovered 
now we're in the practical realm and we've discovered this individual needs to have these things. These things must be present. Problem-solving, curiosity, um, and then we get down very practical to the actual skills that's need, that are needed. Then once we get there, we look at inside of this structure, this culture that we're creating in the future, what are the tolerances that must be here? Possibly it could be not everyone could tolerate a high um, a team that's really highly curious, that's always living in, the, in that place. And maybe we'd have to sort for that tolerance. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Let me uh, rethread through the first, and then get back to to the second thing you were describing. The first thing you're describing is so coherent and so much um, in alignment with uh, my work, where we focus first on the future state, or what I often call Horizon Three. And there are a number of reasons why both. At, at the personal, but certainly at, at the team, organizational, and, and business conversation, we must begin with the future state. Because if we start with the current state, we immediately bring to the table all the impossibilities. And we, we essentially minimize or, or, or limit or, or curtail our possibility and our, the, the range of considerations and the range of opportunities. And we, we minimize the, the art of the possible because we lock ourselves down in um, the gravitational pool of uh, the current state. And to reverse that flow and begin with the future state and allow, as, as you said, the future the, the possibilities of the future, the, the, the potency of what a different future can look like and, and feel like and how we can experience ourselves differently in that future when we begin there and we let that gravitation, gravitational pull lead the conversation, then we sidestep a lot of problems and a lot of obstacles that Otherwise, we'll simply crowd our way before we even begin, whether this is a conversation about a, uh, an innovation problem we're trying to solve, or whether this is a conversation about how we must evolve as a senior team that leads, say, um, an, an organization of 10,000 people, where we recognize that to climb the next mountain and achieve the, the next horizon, the next future we want to create, we must operate in, in, in a whole new way as a leadership team. So that conversation must begin in the future state, and then we journey backward from the future to today, more in terms of, therefore, what are the gaps or what are the pivots that will enable an accelerated journey from, from the current state to the future state. So I'm, I'm recapping what you were describing in the first part of your answer, uh, very much in, in my own language, which I describe in Create New Futures because that's the process that I conduct and I lead with, with teams. Um, let me just pause here and, and then we'll, we'll go back to the second part of your answer, um, see if, if you have any more that you want to add to this. No, I, I mean, that, that actually is so. 
it it is literally a gravitational pull. You can see you can you can see the the rain the kind of the strings coming down. Like I can't describe it. It's almost like a tent that's up, and you can just feel it just kind of relax a little bit. And people, while energized with that pull of the future, also you can feel the baggage just go. I'm mixing my metaphors here, but you 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 see, I mean, just and they relax into oh, we're we're gonna we're gonna envision what we really want. Yeah, that's where we're going, and then backing it up to getting to the practical, and it works. Yes, the second thing you were describing about your process is that when you find the when you're looking to, to identify and bring to the table the right kind of resource, it is indeed a system, or, or I sometimes call this an, a, an architecture type problem. Because when I talk about architecture thinking, what I'm describing is the idea of multiple inputs that are designed to create multiple outcomes. When you bring a new person, new talent into a team, this is one such situation because a person showing up for their role will bring their experience and their talent and their, their skills and their competencies. And so what I found very interesting was the way you describe th those multi-level, multi-system evaluation process where you look at the skills and the competencies and, and you say, can this person meet the challenges and, and the opportunities of this role, but also can they stretch sufficiently but not beyond the tolerances of, of that system, the culture, the DNA, the practices, and, and so on. So, how, But how do you know these things? How do you try to assess and, and come to certainty? Is, is, this a, is this a science? Is this an art? Is this a, um, something that ultimately is, is an intuitive judgment call or, or is it something else uh, altogether? It's both again. It's the same thing. It's both. It's the same process. So when working with individuals to determine if they're a fit for an executive team, after you've done the discovery and the work with the executive team, and and often it's not just the executive team; it's the executive team, it's the level low under that, it's the peer level, it's you know sometimes it's talking to their customers as well, and it's really getting that. Once you have that work, then there's like a moment where the thread you've been following is very clearly the right thread. And there's like one or two pieces that will that are required inside that system that you're looking for. And so that's not going to show up on a CV, on a resume. That's not going to show up those things because they're they're hard to articulate. I mean they're they're I mean you can articulate them. I know what they are when I'm looking and so do the people who work with me. But it's inside that conversation of the person, the resource you're looking to fill that in that side that system, it's the same process. So you start the process again with the discovery with the human being. And you start looking, you know, you knock off all of the skills that are obviously present that need to be present.
but then you're looking for a way of being. Then you're looking for those tolerances and you do the same thing. You, you dig and mine and ask the questions, but then what you're looking for is data to substantiate those questions, those, those responses. So, um, which I think is pretty typical to look for, but you're looking for inside of examples and real life experiences. Have they shown bravery? Let's say, have they shown courage? Have they, where have they shown innovation? What was their part in that project that was their, the innovation? How did they come up with that, that idea? How do they think? Um, there are certain roles inside of a system that require usually a certain way of being. And so, and with experience, this is where data and experience all come in. With experience, there's generally a certain way of being that's needed inside of a certain role. Can you give me, can you, can you describe and give us yeah. a, for instance, for what you yeah. mean when you say a way of being inside a particular role? Yes, I can, actually. Um, I'll, I'll give you one that, that's really present for me right now because it's one we're working on for a, a manufacturing company. And they have a, uh, a need for a global uh, director of quality assurance. So it's an operational role, global, and for inside of quality. Well, my experience in working with people inside of quality and software and technology and manufacturing all doesn't really matter. I mean, there are different nuances inside the different verticals, but generally someone who is that at that level of quality has an ability to be, has a, has a way of being that they're looking at the world a certain way. Otherwise, why would they end up in quality? So one of my questions as I will ask them to walk me through their life and where did they start to question quality? Where did, where did the passion around quality come from? And usually the way of being that I've discovered is that they are highly detailed. They, they believe that there are ways that things are to be done and that there is a process in order to ensure quality. And, but they're also looking for a way of being a perfection. So they have a sense, there's a, there's a, they're always searching for perfection. And the conundrum, which is the light and the dark of it, is that they're searching for perfection, but something's always wrong. Because you never reach perfection. So quality people are, are quite often never satisfied. And you want them to not be satisfied because they're always uh, reinventing and looking at core root problems and making it better and better and better. So they're on the search for perfection. So often when you work with them, their way of being is that. They, and often sometimes I'll be working with them and interviewing them and they won't know that until you start working with them and they get it. In this example, yeah, it makes total sense. In this example okay. you just offered, uh, listening to you, I sketched on my pad here a simple triangle or a cone, and at the top of the the cone is the 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 job requirement. That is ultimately the need that you are looking to fulfill. And so, some somewhere below it, in the middle of that cone. 
I wrote skills and competencies and capabilities, but deeper, more of the foundation. What I wrote as I listened to your description is a way of being aptitude and interior experience. So you're looking, right. you're looking to make sure that you find a resource, you're finding a person where those layers are congruent. There is a, there is a coherent story. There is something about their interior experience and their aptitude and how they see the, the world, what, what I sometimes call the, the, the topography of, of meaning and values of, of what's important for them and how they right. experience life, because ultimately that is what they bring to, to their role as a, as a leader, as an expert, uh, as a person looking to perform a certain uh, required job, and, and you're looking to create that sense of alignment. Now, right. I understand, now I understand why you used earlier the term mining. You're mining both in the system, the, the, the company, but you're also mining with a person, and all these need to lead to a point of coherence where it makes sense. That's right. That's right. And the, and often there are, are gaps, possibly the skill gap, the competency gap there, you can, you can train and fill and mentor and, and coach. But the way of being the actual, what you call the topography, where they have the topography, meaning and values, what I call what in the world may be called their purpose, mm -hmm. right? Their, their drive towards, they see the world a certain way. Now they can come out of that and see it another way, but their normal, more like their kind of their lane that they live in is this certain way of seeing the world. And if you can uncover that, that uncovers often their purpose and what they could best be used for and where they feel their greatest satisfaction often and their greatest right. success. Because right. using that place where it all coalesces internally and then externally it has an expression. And so I've learned that inside of the roles that I've worked with inside with organizations, there are certain ways of being that serve really well inside of certain roles. And then you can fill in the competencies that, and that when I can get an executive team to see that, then oh, then the world opens up. Now sorting for that and assessing that is, you know, is an art form as you brought up. It's but it's a combination of data and science and and an art. It's all of it. Do you believe that the way of being is is something that that's coachable, or or you approach this with the, the premise that there you must find the the tendencies the inclinations the the aptitudes that would um, resonate and, and synchronize with what's being called for to evolve and change the way of being yeah well i I do believe my belief system humans are given everything they need when they get here and right. I love your um I loved your part in your book where you talked about you've already had the courage to be born. You've already had the courage to, you know, to, to be in existence here. And, and, you know, I know I will be using that in my practice with people. Um, but what I, I 
I believe human beings are can do absolutely anything that's put in front of them. Given the right training, the right uh, aptitude, there are some aptitudes that, that you do have to have. Can you cultivate those? Yes. My my belief is that when when something that is subconscious is brought conscious, it gives you an opportunity then to work with it and transform it if you desire to. So what I work with often with candidates, because when I do coaching, which is distinct from search, when I do coaching with people, often, you know, your example of the Michelangelo and the kind of the chipping away to find that inner being, I believe that people can transform anything Mm. and that it can happen in an instant or it can happen over a period of a longer period of time. But that the that it's a it's a journey that you're on. Transformation is a quick moment in time, but then there's always a new one right after. So you can you can be in a constant state of transformation. And that's what I that's what I believe people are in. And when they're willing to look and willing to be vulnerable to open to that, that's where the possibility comes in of the future. So what I look for with candidates who are looking for roles is what is their ability and openness for that transformation to continue to occur? You know, do they have a thirst for that? And so in my coaching clients, that's also what we call coachability, right? Are they willing to look? And if they're willing to look, it's like you pull something from back behind their head and move it out to their side and, oh, and then it gets in their front view. And then they're able to actually grapple with it, look at it, be willing to have courage around it and possibly transform that if they want to move to the next future state of who they are. You you said earlier that there is a moment in the search process when the thread appears and, and perhaps connects. Put a magnifying glass for me on this, please. So is there a moment where you feel that this is right, this is the right fit, and there is a clear, distinct, almost somatic experience that um, verifies for you that this is the case? Is, is this the way it is, or or is it more the case that you have developed earlier on hypotheses or an intuition about who the right candidate is, is and you're now leading through the process and then you get to a point, a moment in time where your earlier intuition is, is validated or, or the other way around and where you discover now you, you need to reapproach it differently. Just put a magnifying glass for me on that experience. I got it, yeah. You know, it happens both ways. So I'm thinking in particular, as we're talking about it, I keep thinking of one particular search I was doing for an executive team. And the CEO had invited me in to meet with the executive team and to do the discovery. But then I requested the layer below. And I didn't know why necessarily I requested the layer below in that particular situation. But I did. And it was that was an intuition. My gut had told me there was something there that wasn't being spoken. And it was, it was just strong every time I met with the CEO and, and met with the executive team. So I re- made that request. And I'll never forget um, 
there were a few of us sitting around the table from, from my firm and we were doing the discovery and I kept digging and digging and there was just, we had all the questions answered that you'd think we needed to have answered. And there was just a, a sense of deep heaviness in the room. And I, and I looked and I just, I just went in and I said, there is something in this room that is palatable that I cannot describe to you. What is not being said at this moment? And who's willing to step up and say it? And I looked at the CEO and I said, is this a safe arena for everyone to speak? And then, and then it was another hour of what really was, was happening. So there was a, a lot of story going on that was not actually true, but having the executives in the room, they were, they thought there would be repercussions. So I'm not sure if I quite answered that question, um, but it, it's, it's being willing to go in and knowing that, that there is nothing there to fear to, to get out what needs to come out. Right. You also. You answered two other questions that I didn't ask. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, because you first answer, the one question you answered that I didn't ask was clearly in, in the intuitive process of inquiry, you are following the energetic pattern that you are experiencing with the team. And, and okay. you, have, you have to follow that process at, at, and it's, it perhaps sounds uh, and can be experienced somewhat uh, shamanic in, in nature in, in the way you go about that. And it's also clear in this particular example that you were called, I believe, and paid to bring the right resource to the team. That, that was the project. That was the term of the engagements, correct? Yep. yep. But in essence, you were performing another service. I don't know if you were paid for this service, but you, you, were, you were acting as a, as a company healer or as a facilitator for the transformative process. And I don't know if you build that into your fee structure when you engage for the project, but you clearly perform that service on that occasion. Yeah, thank you. Yes. You know, I've been asked about that numerous times. I, I don't know any other way to do it. And I'm, I'm being very, very transparent with that. There, for me, there is a way, and this is the way that we have over the years. I've owned the business now 17 years. This is how we have had success. And, and I can bring people in and train them and model them and how to do it. But it is the tracking of the energy. It is the deep listening and listening for words that sometimes seem out of context. It's for listening for story. It's watching the interactions of the people, and then it's tracking all of that, and eventually there'll be a, a, just a little thread that will come out, and you just tug on it just enough, and then you play sometimes with three or four threads until you find the right one, and that's the one, and then it can be 10 minutes afterwards, and you've got everything you need. Like, there's just, there's just a moment, and the team will show it to you. Right. It's said what I have discovered about conversation is once it's said, it cannot be unsaid. So it's mm. said. But then that brings it to a whole new level of experience for the team. Well, now it's said. Well, now what? 
what's next. Now they're living into a whole new future called that elephant has just been let out. Now what? Like there is a, there's that causes transformational change right there. So let me try. Yeah. So let let me try and translate uh, what we are talking about. What you're describing is, is the, the realization and the insight that whenever you have a group of people and whenever you have a team that, that's been working together for a while or perhaps for a long time, through their behaviors and through their interactions and through their dialogues, they are, in actuality, they create a map of meaning that codifies and expresses the energetic patterns of their interaction because their action, our actions and behaviors and the words we say as human beings, all those are expressions of the various energies we are propelled by, our motivations, our desires, our hopes, our aspirations, and how we express in, in action and in, in communication our beliefs. And what you're describing is that, therefore, when you have a group of people or a team that's been working for a while, they tend to create a morphological field, an energetic field that defines the do's and don'ts, the the permissions of what's accepted and, and what's not. And if, for example, you have a team that because the leader demonstrated time and again certain reactivity that creates a fear-based vector in the equation. People hold back from bringing to to the table sometimes their best ideas and their transparent communication. And so what you're describing is that as somebody coming from outside into that system, you have the facility, you have the capacity through the medium of conversation to free up, to release the system, and to up the level of transparency and and authenticity and thereby transform and heal the system. And that that which sometimes is called the soft stuff is the hard stuff. But when we are able to do this and enable that for teams that are working hard to achieve certain outcomes, business outcomes, financial outcomes, the profound acceleration of results is extraordinary. Right. What, what can actually happen sometime in a, in a one hour or, or, or in a day or couple of days workshop in terms of value, in terms of the, the outcomes achieved in their agreements, their decision, their alignment, perhaps it's three months work in two or three days or sometime two or three That's hours. Right. That is the That's value right. that can be generated. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. They they better learn how to deal with conflict with one another. They don't shy away from conflict. They learn to create a base of trust and vulnerability. And I mean, that you know these are all big generalities, but but this is what I have seen to be so. And it can actually happen. It can happen in a in a transformational way through coaching and through the facilitation that you talk about. And it can also happen when they have a need to change the system, such as adding a resource. That's why it's the same conversation. You see? Absolutely. Yeah. Same conversation. And that's, and that's why the two services inside my business exist. Because they, they work 
with and in tandem with one another to create the same result. So do you often engage in the coaching process with the same team, with the same people you have helped create the right fit? Yes, we do. And how we've actually done that in order to make it even easier is with each search, the candidate, when they enter into the new system and they take their new job, they get coaching with that. That's part of the search. So, so the, the client company would hire us to do a search and what comes with that. And, you know, you can say it's free. For me, it's just part of Im- embedding a coaching conversation or a transformational conversation inside that environment. So it eases the trans, the, um, the new piece into the system. Well, so plus. Often- well, plus right. you are building, you're building and bringing accountability to your own process. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. The first 90 days of, of a new human being in a system is often, you know, the most harrowing part. And there are some practicalities that, you know, I have learned through my life that actually work very, very well for that that movement in and to be able to embed inside that system and some things around accountability and around planning and around um, keeping agreements during that first 90 days will really um, predict success, actually. It really does predict success. And so that's why we do it. And then by the time that candidate is in that system, you know, I know them so well before they even go in that the ability to be able to then switch and coach and guide and align with that system, since I know the system, is almost like a, uh, you know, a matchmaker in a way, right? Like creating the environment and helping that environment bring in this new piece. So it makes sense to me to do it. Absolutely fascinating uh, process. And um, what, what's beautiful is, is indeed the accountability you don't just leave them there to discover for themselves how successful they will be or not, but rather you, you enable that process for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's rewarding for me as well to see the result. So to be honest, for me, for me, that's part of the reward of the work is to be able to help make that, that, um, that switch over and like beautifully, easily help the person have someone to what I call stand for them while they're doing it. So they have someone in their court. So they, as they ease in and become part of that story that that team has created until, you know, their character is in that story. Right. Right. Um, That's part of my reward of, if you will, payment. Right. (laughs) Yes. That's why I do. do Uh, And you guarantee a much more satisfied, happier, company and person when you do that. Indeed. Uh, just a couple of more questions uh, to follow from that um, before we, we bring this uh, a rich exploration to, to, to lending. When you look at your skills and wh- how you use your skills and, and what you bring to the work you do, how much of it is, is transferable? Have you been able to transfer the work you do or is it now more of a, a, an art form with a recipe that you almost find extremely difficult to reverse engineer 
and transfer to another person. You know, I I thought for a long time that it wasn't transferable. Okay. And and I have changed my mind on that. Ah, wonderful. I, uh-huh. I I do because there are so many great people I've learned from. And this is a compilation of, you know, me standing on their shoulders, right? And and continuing their work and putting together all of it to create this method that I think that I can see works. So I do them a great disservice since I'm a learner from them if I don't carry this on and, and pass it on to someone else. So I thought that it was this magical piece that, you know, I had made. And it's not entirely so. Through modeling and through um, interaction and experience, there is a method that I follow. And I, I, can, I can tell you exactly what it is. Now, the actual particulars of the questions aren't always the same. But when training someone, I can bring them in and I can teach them why I went where I went. What it was that I saw, felt, you know, witnessed there that had me go down that certain path. And in the debriefing of taking someone with you, it does require modeling, but there is a method. There is absolutely a method. It's starting with the future state. It's it's being clear about what the, the current state is and glancing back to the past state. So you do have some data but then it's being willing to be in the not knowing. I mean, I know the process and with the right person who's willing to explore it, I can teach this. That's great. That's a great answer. My guess is it's, it's a lot more than a training process. They have to be, they have to uh, get the benefit of an immersive transfer, immersive experience. Uh, of being yeah. on point, either being on point and, and probably even uh, having you on video in those discovery conversations will transfer some skills, but there is something else that happens when they are together with you. When I do in my uh, leadership and, and strategy events and workshops, I often incorporate a, a module around coaching because I, I just think that every leader must be a competent coach because such a big part of leading is building the talent of the successive generations. And most managers and leaders are good fixers, but they're not very good coaches. And, and in essence, the, actually the reflexes are different. So I incorporate in like just a couple of weeks ago, I was with a senior team and we incorporated on the, the second morning of that workshop uh, an hour and a half module around coaching. And I said to them, I want you all to practice coaching each other because if we're going to be able to create a high-velocity learning culture that you all need, if you are to succeed in achieving the, the audacious and ambitious goals you have just agreed uh, last night and, and, on and, and aligned on in terms of the, where the organization is going next, it's not going to be sufficient to just declare these goals. We are all, all of you will have to evolve as leaders and, and as a team together. And the fastest way to get there is to create a, a high-velocity learning culture and the way to do that 
is to build the disciplines of coaching and debrief. And the best way to do that is to practice coaching each other and not be defensive in the face of these uh, exposures with each other. And so we practiced right. that. And, and uh, people often say, wow, that was the most powerful hour and a half, even though it was not, it was not the, the main focus or the thrust of why, what we were there for. That's what I call the foreground, alternating the foreground and the background. The foreground, we were there to articulate and define the future state of the organization, the Horizon 3 future, and the key strategies that will get us there. But if these, to bring these to life, we also have to address the background, which is who are we as leaders, as a leadership team, and how will we show up in a whole different way to create this new future? Right. And, and, and it's very much uh, the way you're describing it. One and last actually, yeah. yes. I would just, I would just agree with you and say one of the things that we have created is when you train new managers, line managers who've possibly only managed a short period of time, one thing that we do is add an element. So the training will go on for six months, but it's once a month, and we add one element. And then during the period of time, so half a day, then for the rest of the month, they have, they they peer coach each other on that element within their team. So if they're working on communication, then each of those managers then would work peer coaching each of the other managers during the month while we're not there. And then the next month, there's a new element to be learned. And then they peer coach each other during the month on that element. So we incorporate training and coaching in our management uh, leadership program for just that reason. because if they practice it in over a six-month period of time, peer coaching each other, and then having examples of, of coaches to be available, oh, it's brilliant. I mean, it raises the level of the culture unbelievably. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So I'm in complete agreement, alignment with that one. <laughs> what, advice, what advice do you give to a talented and bright person early in, in their career when they're still not sure and still searching to find their niche or discover how they can excel, how, how do you advise a situation like that? When they're, still, when they're still looking for where they'd like to contribute, they're not sure yet? Well, maybe they're now in the first or second role in a large company. Uh, they, you know, perhaps they're even in sales or they're in a different function. And, and they, they're doing well. You know, people say you're bright, you, you're very talented. But somewhere inside, there is this nagging feeling of there is something else I need to find, and I'm not quite sure what it is or how to go about finding what I should do next and, and how to have more of a plan or more of a system approach or, or rational approach to, to my career. How do you advise a question like that? Yeah, first first off I advise them to find a good coach <laughs> if they can okay. if they can do that and if they can you manage that. Um the next I, I advise them to keep reading and to read everything they can get their hands on from all sorts of different areas and walks of life, philosophy to um to 
you know, anything they can get their hands on of, of people who have done it before them, to look at the leaders who've discovered before them and, and great thought leaders and philosophers. Then I advise them to find uh, some way to get in touch with uh, their inner self. So for some, that could be meditation, some it's prayer, some it's um, being outside, whatever it is to find a, a spaciousness within themselves. So that whatever it is that is to show up for them, there needs to be a listening to that inner voice. And that if they create in this practical sense a space for that to show up, it'll show up. Things don't show up unless there's room for them. Mm. So you have to create room. And so, um, and you know, that can, you can look at that from a spiritual standpoint, or you can just flat out look at it from a practical standpoint. If you have a bookshelf and it's crammed full of books, you're not going to put any more books on the bookshelf. So, you know, how do you create space for the new to show up for you is to be willing to let go of the old and allow the new in. And so someone can understand that from any walk of life. And I'll say that to someone new in their career and say, here's the piece to really watch for. Notice and be introspective with yourself and notice where you live and where you don't live where time stands still, where time is dragged. Notice inside your jobs that you've had, are there patterns that you see? Are there things that you always do that you gravitate toward? What do you resist? What do you not resist? Like start to be introspective with yourself. Journal if you can. And to keep track of these things that you see, what managers do I work better with? What kinds of missions do I feel better, more satisfied being attached to, what kinds of cultures, and then I have them just start to really look. And from that and giving yourself space, your your inner being will speak to you in a way that will give you what's next. You need so there's like this practical walk and then the inner walk. And the two of them don't go alone. They're always together but allowing that practical piece to let the inner piece speak so that you can actually hear what's next. And it may not be what everyone else in the world says for you to do, but it may be something that just, you just know that might be the next step. And how you will know that is that you have been insightful with yourself and listened to that deep voice. You have to give it space to show up. And anyone I say all of this to, I sometimes change the language depending on who I'm talking with, but that generally speaks to them to give themselves the space to be able to create what's next, to let it show up. Right. Beautiful uh, answer. So we are circling back to where we started with the idea of curiosity. You have to be very curious, to, very curious and observant of the world around you. And, and also of the world inside you, the, your interior world, and where and in what situations, around what um, subject matters and what kind of uh, modalities and uh, ways of operating, where do these align in a way that energize you? Because where you get animated and energized, what you call where you live into a space, always is, a, um, is an indication and perhaps a revelation that means you, that, that you're drawing closer to what you're here perhaps meant to do or drawing closer to that sense of purpose in both a practical sense 
and uh, in the, the deeper, most uh, uh, meaningful and perhaps spiritual sense, and how and where you find the answers to what you're here to do in terms of your profession or your work or your role is just an expression of, of a bigger gestalt of, of who you are as a human being and um, what you are here perhaps for and uh, what you are here to perhaps serve. So all these, as you said, reveal unto each other. It's curious, some people are more inside-out learners. The first insight appears on the inside, and then that leads them to a course of action. But there are many people, perhaps uh, six or seven out of ten, where they are more in the outside in learning, and I've learned to appreciate that different people come to discover uh, and, and find that insight in, in a whole different way, uh, very personalized, because we are each um, wired differently to, to discover and to learning. That's true. I mean, I call those the doers. You know, right. they, they, they have to, they have to almost kinesthetically, they have to, they have to do it. Their body experiences it, whatever it is. And from that very physical feeling, then there's the transformation of the inside. Others transform, but, and I, I, I would say there's probably a lot more of those than the inner. The inner then move in a different way. But, you know, in my world, in my belief system, there's no, uh, boundaries between the outer and the inner. They're, they're, they're all one environment. Right. And it's a matter of, right, like letting those landscapes show up for each other. And so um, one informs the other. So the anchor here in the physical world, you know, is just that an anchor for what's happening inside in the internal environment. And so, you know, um, when you can work with someone you know, I often in my in my work, I get people who have been in, in their work world 25 years or so, usually highly experienced and very successful already. And there there comes a point of the new of the there's like a lack of satisfaction and there's something next. But the looking, glancing into the past to look at the patterns of what they've already experienced really does inform the future letting go of pieces that don't work and embracing the ones that they want to carry into that new future and then creating what's next inside that new future from nothing but still taking those pieces with them that work, that they know will always work for them. So you don't lose that experience and that thread of that life and that journey, right? Yes. There are so many threads here that uh, perhaps we can develop on, on another conversation, in, including... Uh, the furtherance and, and the unpacking of the, the idea that there are different learning styles and how some are what you call kinesthetic uh, learners and, and others are conversationalist learners. And, um, and then there are other ways of learning as well. And we have to recognize and, and accommodate to, to all of them. But we, we do need to bring this one to landing. And Anne-Marie, this... Uh, was a, a rich and fascinating exploration. So I wonder if there is any, any parting wisdom or any call to action that, that you'd offer. Parting wisdom and call to action. If, if I had a wish for the people listening to this podcast and listening to this, it would be that we listen more deeply and more fully 
to each other, but also to that internal voice that is so, just so ancient often, and that internal voice that will guide us if we let it and get more and more familiar with listening for it. And when it speaks, because it starts in a whisper. And if, if we, if we don't start to listen, it eventually gets very, very quiet. Hmm. But if listen to it and feed it and listen some more, which means giving it space to speak, it will start to speak with a much louder timbre in its voice. And you'll hear it. It'll sound a little bit wild sometimes and uh, not disciplined sometimes. But that's the voice of creativity, of innovation. That's the voice of leadership, I think. But it's with the deep listening that it can come forth. And that's listening to each other in conversation. It's being clear about when to speak, when not to speak, when to let silence be there and be present. And if leaders learn that fine line, listening with others and listening with themselves, I think that uh, that will solve a lot of what people are looking for, that deep listening. That's awesome. That's beautiful uh, parting wisdom and, and call to action. Where can people yeah. find you? Where can people find you and learn more about uh, your service and um, your work? They can find me at our website, which is www.archer-associates.com. And we have a brand new website coming out in the next two to three weeks that will uh, hopefully be full of great content and um, entertaining as well, but also will give more of an understanding of our services. So archer-associates.com. And thank you for asking that. This has been just a really enriching conversation. So enjoyable. Thank you. That's great. And we'll have uh, the links to, to you and to um, your website and uh, on the summary notes of this podcast uh, episode. Thank you so much for uh, being with me today on this exploration. Uh, thank you. It was really great fun and just rejuvenated my whole being. Thank you. 